this goes back into that high quality, less supervision, lower quality, higher supervision problem. We tend to be on the high supervision side of things. We are doing that with our kids. Our kids are skimming over so many topics mm. and then we're throwing a lot of assessment at them mm. to see if they're mastering mm. these concepts. The education of our children must be at the heart of our efforts. From Solid Gold Studios, this is EduThink, the show that explores education in South Africa. Here's your host, Gavin Kennedy. In today's episode of EduThink, we rebroadcast another interview between innovation consultant Common Murray and Jacqueline Acheson, Director of Education Incorporated, a boutique school in four ways. Today's topic, Finnish education and what we in South Africa could and should learn from them. I hope you enjoy the show. I am Carmen Murray, a business professional, and I specialize in technology, innovation, and strategy. And this show is designed to give you a taste of topics we explore with heavyweights, mavens, and disruptors, and to give you a whole new perspective on the changing landscape in business, as well as education, and how to evolve and adapt. Today's guest, Jax Aitchison, was here last week, and we were actually having an incredible chat about how to educate a child for the 22nd century based on a free ebook that you can actually find online. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to go and listen to the previous episode to find out how you can get that book. But welcome back, Jax. Lovely to have you back. Thank you, Carmen. Thanks very much. So uh, I think last week was quite interesting because we were chatting about the winning trifecta between parent, teacher and child, how the education system has changed and how we need to adapt and evolve. Correct. It's also using the farmer mentality, the process of education, the role that tech Mm -hmm. plays in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And this episode is actually leading us into the hottest topic in education, which is about the Finnish education system. And today we want to talk about what lessons in education we can learn from Finland and how we can apply that in South Africa. If possible, is is the question. So yeah. I think first put it in context. Maybe you can give us a little bit of background. Why are you so passionate about this particular topic and some of the work that you've been doing around this? Well, we've we've been in education for a long time and we've looked at it from various different contexts internationally as well as, as the South African system. And, and we're always watching to see what is best for our children and, and, and what they're going to be needing going forward. As you said, there's so much hype around the Finnish education system. And and so we started looking into why. What is this hype? When did it start? How did they put all this together? Uh, We were at the International Confederation of Principals Conference at the end of last year. And a chap called Ari Pocker, he was the president of that confederation until the end of 2017. He's actually handed over the presidency to a South African lady. And he's written a book as well. It's called... Top class, it's Finnish schools leadership. It was just delving into all of that and obviously doing so from a critical perspective because you want to analyze, well, what could be applicable in the South African context? We're talking about two vastly different cultures. So could there be elements of that very successful system that we could implement here in South Africa? That's why we've been looking into it. The first car, if you have to compare it today to Tesla and how the car has evolved. Yeah. 
and you look at a mobile phone, the first time a mobile phone was introduced, yeah. um, it was this big box that you That's carried right. around <laughs> and you were mobile. <laughs> and then, and then later, um, look where the smartphone has, yeah. has, has evolved. And they even reckon that in the next five or 10 years, we're moving now into the dawn of the fourth technology transformation, right. which means that we are going to move away from what we carry with us to what we wear. Huh. So it's all about the internet of things and the mixed realities and other world. But anyway, that's a topic for another day. Mm-hmm. What hasn't changed in many, many situations is education. Yeah. So education, if you look at the, in the age of Socrates, um, standing yes. in front, teaching yes. and have students that lift their hands up and mm-hmm. ask for permission to, to say something. In most classrooms, this is what we see. And I think what makes this whole new approach of what the Finnish education system is applying is that whole effect of collaboration. But yeah. maybe you can take us more into depth around this education system and what are they doing that's so amazing and give us some context. I think most people are surprised when you really delve into the format of the education system, mm. the years that they're in basic education, pre-education, basic education, what they call upper secondary, and that's essentially our FET phase, the grade 10, 11, 12. It's remarkably similar. The ages that the children do it at, because that's all based on cognitive development. So the yeah, ages yeah, yeah. are very, very similar. And I think that's quite surprising. People are assuming that it's radically different to what we do here. Exactly. That, exactly. And yeah. it's not actually the case. Where the systems are different, it's essentially an implementation of the systems. Mm. That's where the differences are. And and there are two big, big differences that I've noted. The first one is on essentially how they focus on the objectives of their curriculum and the assessment of their curriculum. There's Mm -hmm. a big difference there between what they are doing and what we are doing. Mm -hmm. And there's a massive difference in the teacher training. Finnish teacher training and South African teacher training, those are, those are two areas where you can see marked differences. When you're talking about curriculum objectives and, and how they do that, they have, I read an article where they actually just kept talking about less is more in the mm. Finnish system. Mm. So it's fewer subjects that are delved into a lot more deeply than we tend to do. All South African education is based on CAPS. Everyone's familiar with CAPS. It's all based on CAPS. It doesn't matter whether you're writing the IAB, the Independent Examination Board's exam, or the government NSC. It doesn't matter. Mm. You're all doing the same CAPS base. You're just being examined slightly differently on those objectives. But one of the the downfalls, I believe, is that it is a very, very wide system, Mm -hmm. and wide means shallow. Mm. So you tend to end up trying to fit in quantity of curriculum as opposed to quality of curriculum what they do in finland fewer subjects where you actually get time to delve into subjects properly you get real depth into concepts Mm. these children really engage they can explore the topics they can explore the learning extensively and really grasp it before you move on to something else a caps maths textbook at the moment in south africa for example you know we're jumping through topics within a day or two You've got to cram onto the next one, cram onto the next one, cram onto the next one. So these children are getting a very superficial scratching of the surface of a lot of topics. And I believe that's one of the areas that we could, in South Africa, Mm. refine. Mm. We could refine a very good system. We have a great system in CAPS. It's been going for a few years now, and it it is probably time for how can we make it even better? How can we refine Mm. that system to make it more beneficial for our children? And I believe there it's making it a bit narrower and a lot deeper. You know what I really love about that is the fact that it becomes more than just general knowledge. I think the most important thing also here is when you start diving into a subject and Mm -hmm. you're really going in deeper and deeper and deeper, 
it starts resonating and you yes. start having those multiple aha moments. And you want to do more. You want to do more. Yeah. Exactly. So I think that's a that's definitely a brilliant approach. Talk to me about the education of teachers. For example, just to throw out one of the, the quick stats is mm. that every teacher in Finland, if you want to teach in a school from pre-primary right through, you have to have a master's degree. You have to be at master's level to be able to qualify sure. to teach in a Almost school. Almost like a doctor. That's it. But, and, and it's funny you should say that because that's the perception. To get into a teaching qualification and study that field for the Finnish people is akin to being a doctor or a lawyer. It's, it's a highbrow profession. There's a lot of prestige behind that. So sure. even right from finishing up school and applying to be a teacher, they tend to take about 10% of the applicants. Only about 10% of the applicants get in to study teaching in the first place. Then they study extensively to master's level before they are put in a classroom. Now, the impact of that is you have highly skilled people sitting in a classroom. And as with any other profession, high skill level mm -hmm. means lower supervision is required because mm -hmm. you can trust the professional in that context. Uh -huh. They are very well qualified to doing what they, they have to do. They can adapt where they have to adapt. They can look at the diversity in the classroom and adapt to that environment, to that context every time. And you can trust that they're doing it effectively because they've been very well trained on how to do that. High quality staff, less supervision. Mm. Now, the inverse of that is a scary concept. If we are dealing with a situation where our teachers are poorly trained and, and are not at a high skill level. What happens? We need a large amount of supervision to make sure that the job is being done correctly and appropriately for our children. Mm. And that just opens up another whole can of worms because who's going to be doing that oversight? Are they qualified to be doing mm. that oversight? We're always talking about the symptom. Of, exactly. of education, but it's actually getting into the cause. It, uh, you've got to get right, right down. down there and, and where the problem really, really lies. And this is, I think, one of the problems when we look at something like Finnish education and South African education. Mm. It, it becomes so overwhelming when you look at the South African context. You, you almost People throw their hands up in there and go, well, where do we even start? Do we start at the top with yeah. our teacher education and work down? Or do we start right at the bottom with our young children so that we can produce better candidates going into those qualifications hmm. or do we try and do both at the same time and how do we do that it doesn't sound like a very easy problem to solve it's it's not going to be an easy problem to solve it's going to take time with that in, in mind like one of the, the the other things that fascinates me as well is, is the complaints that you usually hear that the classrooms are too full mm -hmm. there's too many kids in the classroom yeah. How does the Finns like address address mm. this problem? You know, do they have a, a small amount? Because you're talking about supervision, less supervision, yes. that kind of thing. So in our country, sometimes I hear of classrooms with 60 kids yeah. in it. What is the process there versus here? I don't think we can ever make an accurate comparison in that regard, simply mm. because, you know, in Finland, we're talking of a population size that's, what, five and a half million, as yeah. opposed to South Africa, that's 57 100%, million. 100%. So we have to be very, very careful in the comparisons that we do make. We mm -hmm. can't… Apples to apples. Exactly. Yeah. We can't take their classroom as this utopian ideal that we are never going to be able to achieve in South Africa. Right. And I'm not saying that we can't make smaller classes in South Africa, but maybe a better solution is the way the Finnish do a lot of group work. There's a lot of collaborative group work going on in that system. And the first thing that we think of here is, well, if you have 40, 50, 60 kids in your class and you're trying to do group work, it's just going to be mayhem. It's going to mm. be noisy. Is it going to be productive? So once again, how do we tailor the teacher training to handle these very difficult situations that are not typical when we are talking about Eurocentric or Western education? We are different in that. Very. We are different yeah. and that has to be recognized. But our teacher training should also be focusing on it. 
Mm. Finland is a very homogenous population. We are an incredibly diverse population. So a lot of our teacher training talks about that diversity, and that is absolutely essential. Mm. But that shouldn't be to the detriment of the content. Diversity includes your learning disabilities. It's not just about language in the classroom. The diversity mm. includes that your classroom will likely have a child with ADD or ADHD or dyslexia 100%. or that sort of thing. And it's training your teacher to handle that level of diversity. Is it better in group work? Is the fact that you're doing group work and alleviating pressure, alleviating pressure from those children? You know, mm. a dyslexic child tends to feel a little insecure in the classroom. They, mm. They're kind of waiting for their next mistake. So if you put them in groups, does that take some of that pressure off them? Mm. Does it allow them to participate more? Mm. Would that result in better candidates ultimately mm. applying into, to the universities for, for things like teacher training? I think of the apprentice and those kind yeah. of things. Is, you know, we get a different leader to lead a different type yes. of um, project. Yeah. Who do we vote for? Yeah. Um, who's the right person to lead this project? Mm -hmm. And then vote for that person. And then you need to lead. And, yeah. and to expose people, I think one of the biggest things that has developed me as a person is public speaking because I was forced to do, to it. do it in my <laughs> <laughs> I don't think if I wasn't forced to do it now, yeah. I would rather I would rather do public speaking than do cold calling. Oh, absolutely. Like, like, yeah. You know, yeah, it's yeah. Just, hands down. Hands down. <laughs> so, so I do think that this whole environment of collaboration and giving people tasks and, and things to do, yes. and apart from the fact that they delve into into the, this topic and go deeper and Very deeper, deeply, and deeper yes. I think is an incredible way to balance it out. Yeah. And I think also for parents that's in South Africa mm -hmm. is, is look maybe be beyond school and say, okay, right, my kids are going to school, keep them busy until five o'clock. Yes, sport, maybe you can go twice a week and play sport. And yeah. it all depends on the passion of the child, obviously. Sure. Yeah. But maybe to find extra classes that can stimulate these kind of collaboration. Exactly. I don't know. What, exactly. what do you think? Absolutely. If we could create spaces for these children where there are learning skills that are more hidden curriculum or covert curriculum. They're not necessarily what you see in a textbook on a daily basis. It's things like your trial and error approach. In your more affluent schools, they're doing that through clubs like robotics. But it shouldn't just be for those kids. It should be for everyone. How do you create that space in all schools where they can learn those vital skills, trial and error, programming, all these skills that they are going to need? going forward when you talk about things like this i'm one of those activists i mm -hmm. i really fight for disadvantaged people because yeah. i feel they're being deprived mm -hmm. yes they learn how to hustle and um it's not always a bad thing but to to yeah. find a way you know to expose kids to robotics poor kids as well yeah we have a responsibility to to get everybody future fit not just Absolutely. not just a certain percentage of the public there was this one guy i don't know if you saw this viral video it was fascinating was in Soweto yeah how this guy took all of these little parts that was lying around yeah. the street and he built a robot it's amazing out of it and, it, and it's sitting yeah. on the side yeah. of the road and with mechanics and drills and it's, it can pick up <laughs> things and he made it out of plastic tops yeah. and and it went viral mm -hmm. and the whole world knows about this guy and he has no education yeah and i think exposing people to these kind of things especially technology can help them to get a foot in the door yeah. in future because it, if you can imagine it you can create it absolutely and that's the one thing now a lot of people probably don't know this but i think i need to share that so finland is actually known for giving us the nokia phone and not 5110 yes yes and the nokia phone is coming back now apparently so yeah. yes and what a lot of people don't know is that's when mobile really started booming and africa adopted this mobile phone 
and we leapfrogged into mobile because of the Nokia yeah. phone. So thanks, Finland, very much. The other thing that they've given us, which is also mobile related, but gaming related, is Angry Birds. Oh, is that a Finnish? It's Finnish. Yes. And heavy metal. But what a lot of people also don't know is that they had widespread poverty in the 70s. Mm. And they realized that alleviating poverty by leaning into good education. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So this is why we are currently sitting in absolute awe when we watch a country yeah. like that mm -hmm. disrupt in the education system. And look how they've changed their whole economy because of that. What can we learn from them because we live in an emerging market yeah. right um we have a lot of widespread poverty yeah. maybe you can give us some context yeah so that you're 100 right they they were experiencing significant poverty in the 70s and into the early 80s as well that led to very low educational standards they were akin to countries like peru but they were way down on the ranking Their basic education, the same as ours, ends at the end of their year nine or our grade nine. And one, two people in 10 were finishing a basic education. Tertiary education was very rare indeed in the Finnish system. They needed to turn that around. More than anything else, it's exactly what you've just said. It was a huge societal leaning in to mm. the importance of education and building upon that generation after generation until they ended up in a situation where they have these really strong candidates coming out of school into one of what they consider the most prestigious degrees, which is teacher education. They're going right through to master's level on, on that and then going into schools to teach. We have to contextualize this for South Africa. You know, even now, Finland is dealing, and again, from the 70s to now, they have reduced that poverty line significantly. Mm. So now Finland deals with a poverty line of about 6% of their population. Wow. It's tiny. Hey, sure. um, you know, 6% of, what's 6% of 5.5 million? It's about it's just over 300,000 in Finland living Incredible. below the poverty line. Now that's something you can do something about. You can action that. We can conceptualize that. We can deal with that. South Africa's context, very different story. Yeah. Here we have a population. Yeah, we have a population of 57 million. Our poverty line is over 50%. We're dealing with over 30 million below the poverty line. Finland turned that around in essentially three generations. Mm. It's going to take us a lot longer. That's the reality of the situation. But it doesn't mean we throw our hands up in there and go, oh, well, it's too big an issue. I couldn't possibly have any input here. That would be negligent and irresponsible for us as a society. We also need to lean in to education. We also need to prioritize Our government needs to prioritize, the spending needs to be prioritized, and it needs to be done properly and accountably and responsibly. If we can start doing that, we will see that lean in. We need to think about how we in society can make an impact because yeah. governments can't make an impact no. in 50 million people's lives. No. But it's about donating books. How can we get people to read the books? How can, yeah. we, um, how can we help format that? You know, I saw a case study in, in South Africa. Literacy is a, is a huge problem. It's a big, big problem. Under the age, I think, of three years old, child is supposed to hear about 50 million it's words. 30, 30, well, some studies will say 32 million, but it's, they are supposed to be exposed and interact with 30 million words on average before the age of three to facilitate appropriate cognitive development. If you just Google the 30 million word project, you'll get loads of literature on it. Yeah. Children who are not exposed to that, and generally it's an American study, so they refer to their welfare children. We are referring to the children below the poverty line. Yeah. These children are actually cognitively disadvantaged right from the start. 
So that's why I'm saying, where do we start? Do we start top down with teacher training or do we start right at the bottom? Or do we try and find a happy medium where we can actually bring these two together mm. to uplift the entire situation? Mm. And get the fundamentals right. Correct. And unfortunately, it's like everything else in the world, it comes down to funding. It always comes back to funding. I think project literacy is something that everybody should get involved with, yeah. whether you are a citizen, a community. Yeah, absolutely. And we, I think it's also important to start with community work and, and, and start, you know, going to the city hall and saying, okay, right, we want this room and just make an effort to come into the class and we all circulate amongst us and we mm-hmm. have a reading club for the kids and, and start stimulating yeah. them because these things are paramount to laying the foundations. And if you can't get the basics right, how can you get the rest right? Yeah. I think it's been purpose-driven. This is exactly what Finland did. They were mm-hmm. purpose-driven. They mm-hmm. knew what they wanted to achieve. I'm going to ask you just an interesting question that I would like to understand is obviously with this very unorthodox approach they're using in their country, how do you measure what success looks like? This is one of the things that I've heard around the bry of late when it comes to Finnish education. They're going, oh, well, they have just abolished all assessment. <laughs> No, they haven't. (laughs) They just do it differently. So um, the similarity between them and us and assessment is that in your basic education phase, so up to the end of grade nine or year nine for them, the teachers are responsible for all assessment. You Mm. you do it according to your curriculum objectives and outcomes. Mm. But it's left up to the teacher. You're doing that. The only actual formal assessment for them is their, the end of their upper secondary. So it's like our metric exam. That's when they're doing that. And yes, of course, they're assessing at that point because otherwise, how would your universities be able mm. to look at the intake and choose and do everything that they have to do? Of course, there has to be assessment at that point. But it's that less is more approach. Mm. They write four exams at that level. So they write their home language paper and then they choose three others. They can write a second language or a maths exam or humanities, physics, life science, whatever it is. They choose the other three examinable subjects and they go with that. We are, we are doing, I mean, our metrics are writing seven. They have a seven subject metric as a minimum. Many of them who think that they need to achieve are doing more than seven subjects. And even in the classrooms, when you, the teachers are doing their assessment before the end of the basic education phase. Yeah. Far less assessment. This goes back into that high quality, less supervision, lower quality, higher supervision problem. We tend to be on the higher supervision side of things. We are doing that with our kids. Our kids are skimming over so many topics Mm. and then we're throwing a lot of assessment at them Mm. to see if they're mastering Mm. these concepts. That's part of what's not really working and needs to be refined. and Jacqueline Acheson. Thank you also to Brand Live and Solid Gold Studios for producing today's show. For show notes, visit solidgoldstudios.co.za forward slash eduthink. Until next time, keep learning.